And I will say, uh, I've mentioned this before every year in Advent because it, it's it's so difficult to come up with fresh ideas. Uh, a lot of times, uh, we Dad will find a, like a, a sermon series uh, that someone has done, and it has outlines for you and kind of gives you ideas of of illustrations and that kind of thing. And and so that's normally what we do. And sometimes those sermons are a little harder to preach just because, for one, it's you know, it wasn't you that put the, the, the lesson together, the sermon together. And sometimes it's hard to understand where, where they're trying to go with the outline. Uh, but I will say, last week's sermon and this week's sermon, these are easy messages to preach. And I'm not saying that it's easy as far as just, you know, look at it for five minutes and, and you know, don't have to study or don't have to, to pray about it or don't have to read through the scripture. I'm saying it's easy because it's uh, good stuff to preach about. It's it's Good theological stuff, and, and again, not saying it's good stuff, saying it's it's all great. I'm saying it's good theological uh, truths to talk about. And so this morning we're going to read in John chapter one, verse fourteen. John says, "And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth." So this morning we are continuing our series of the heart of Christmas. And as we've mentioned, Jesus is the heart of Christmas. And this morning we are focusing on joy. And so to start off with, I'm going to need some crowd participation this morning. Don't worry, it's just raising your hand. So I'm going to give you a couple scenarios, and you raise your hand if that would bring you joy in your life. So let's say this week, uh, which by the way, you know, we're next week is Christmas Eve. So I think last night I bought my last Christmas present. I think we're done. Um, and it was actually a Christmas present I wasn't expecting to buy, and something came up, and I, uh, I was able to buy something I had been wanting to buy. So anyway, uh, if you're not done with the Christmas shopping, you better get on it, because uh, you'll be stuck like Dad is a uh, couple days before Christmas fighting the crowds. Uh, so anyway, let's say this week you're at your favorite restaurant, and it comes time to pay the bill, and the waiter tells you that a random stranger has paid your bill for you, and you don't have to worry about it. Who would bring that joy to? All right, I think pretty much everybody, you know, we, we, we would uh, be pretty joyful at that. Let's say next Sunday morning, Christmas Eve, you wake up and you walk in your living room or wherever your Christmas tree is at, and you find that your Christmas tree overnight has fallen over, and the ornaments are everywhere, and the lights are all tangled up, and now you've got to spend, you know, an hour or two getting it all back together and putting it back up. Who would, who would that bring joy to? Nobody? <laughs> All right. I will say, as I was uh, preparing this, uh, I was thinking about this was it was probably had been at least 12 years ago. It was before Jocelyn was born, uh, and so I think it was 12 years ago. Uh, our Christmas tree, we get live Christmas trees every year, and our Christmas tree fell over twice. And so, uh, and what happened? Really, we were planning on tearing out our carpet in our house at that time and putting hardwood floor down. And after the second time, it stained the carpet really bad. And so we took that as a sign that we need to just go ahead and start working on our carpet. So shortly after Christmas, we started tearing everything up and replacing our with our hardwood floor. Uh, we ended up having to uh, take a wire, tie it around the Christmas tree, and I took a screw and screwed it into the wall and wrapped the wire around that screw. Uh, didn't look the greatest, but it didn't fall over anymore. So one final one, and I think this one we might have a split here. Let's say next, a week from Monday, next Monday... Uh, Christmas morning, you wake up and it snowed six inches on the ground. 
Now, you could be joy at that. Could be a little aggravation because now you got to shovel your sidewalk or your driveway or now you got to drive in it. So who would bring that joy? Who would who would bring joy? That's right. I I I'm one. Of course, I, I know I'm a little younger and and I actually enjoy doing the shoveling. Uh, especially two years ago, I bought a, a little electric snowblower thing, and so that makes it even more fun. Uh, I like it when it snows that much, so I can justify spending that money on that thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, the point of all that is a lot of times we let our circumstances determine what is joyful in our life. And the problem is, as much as we want to say that this time of year is full of joy, a lot of times the circumstances aren't really full of joy. A lot of times it's stressful, it brings heartache because it reminds us of past uh, tragedies, it reminds us that life is not what it used to be. Uh, I was just watching a video this morning, I mentioned a few years ago, I, uh, there's uh, a news station out in Idaho, East Idaho News, and uh, he, an anonymous sponsor uh, gives a million dollars every year, and they give out uh, Christmas, they give out like big prize, or big presents to people that need and uh, this, to this morning, the video, uh, this guy had been battling cancer for like 12 years, I think, and uh, off and on. And right before, or right in the middle of his uh, cancer treatment, he accidentally ran over his daughter and killed her. And uh, he couldn't afford to replace the car. And uh, they, he actually talked about this. They, they gave him a, a new car. And he said that one of the most painful things was every time he got in that car, he realized you know, he remembered what happened and he couldn't get away from that memory. And he talked about how great it was uh, that he could have a different car now and that he, you know, could have new memories and, and not have to remember that, that tragedy every time. And so a lot of times this time of year is filled with stress, it's filled with heartache, and it's hard for us sometimes to say that this time of year is full of joy. But this morning I want to look at three facts about joy and the first fact is what we saw in John chapter 1, verse 14. The first fact about joy is we can have joy because God came to us. We can have joy because God came to us. You see, the Bible tells us that here in, in John chapter 1, it says the Word became flesh. And if you've ever read through the, the book of John, the first chapter of John, the first time you read it, if you've never read the, the first chapter of John, I'm telling you, first time you read it, you're going to be saying, what in the world is he talking about? Because the first couple of verses is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, and in the beginning, and the Word was there in the beginning. And, and it, it's very confusing. And it's not until you really get to verse 14 when you realize what he's talking about when he uses the, this word, Word. And it's when he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when he, he uses that term word in the, in the Greek, that word is logos. And there are actually two different types or two different words that you could use for logos. And the word there, logos, or there are two different words that you can use that are translated into the English word, word. Say that ten times fast. But the, the word that he uses is logos. And logos... Uh, for a Jewish person, Logos, that the word of God, God spoke this world into existence. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the Jews would refer to that as the Decalogue, the Ten Words. And so the word of God not only created things, the word of God uh, 
gave us the commandments and gives us the laws and how we ought to live. And so the Jews, when, when John used this word logos, they understood what he was talking about, the word of God. They understood that when he says the word became flesh, it wasn't just a baby that was born in the manger. This was the actual son of God. This was God himself coming in the flesh. John wrote this during the, the time of the Roman Empire. And to philosophers at that time, logos was used as a term to describe what held everything together, what, what created everything, and, and not necessarily in, in a sense of the actual true God, but just in a spiritual sense, logos was used by philosophers to say, that's what sets everything in motion. That's what makes the sun rise and, and set in the, in the, in the day. And, and that's what makes the moon go through its phases. And that's, that's what makes the seasons come and go. And, and that's what makes everything happen is, is this idea of logos. And so John, when he uses that term, he uses it very specifically. So that way, no matter who is reading this, at that time, they understood exactly what he was saying. He was saying that this, this logos, that what holds the world together, to, to those who were not believers in the true God, but to the Jews, the, the one who spoke this world into existence. That's why he said in the beginning was the word, because in the very beginning when the world was created, Christ was there. And so he says that logos, God, came to us. And it's amazing to me to think about that. Amen. He says, the word, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we, we beheld his glory. And he says, he came to us full of grace and truth. And so that gives us joy because we don't worship a God who is out there that, that no one has ever handled or touched or, or done anything like, that just can't be, can't be touched with our feelings. Christ came. God put skin on himself and he walked around and he, he felt hungry. He felt thirst. He felt uh, pain. He felt, he felt suffering. If you remember when uh, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept and the, the context of that is his friend Lazarus has died and he is standing at Lazarus' tomb and he is feeling that loss that we feel when we uh, experience death. And so God, the God that we worship, has come to us, and he has experienced everything that we experience, and yet now we can worship him. And to me, it's amazing to think, you know, Jesus said, uh, and I don't have the verse, but Jesus uh, told his disciples, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You know, a lot of times people think that before they become Christians, they got to get everything lined up. They got to get everything. Well, you know, I, I, I have this in my life and I have that in my life and I, I got to get rid of this and I got to get better at that. And, you know, this past year at work, I'd, my goal, I'd, I'd, as soon as I met with uh, my manager during our review this past year, my goal is to get promoted to the next step uh, this coming year. I'm really hoping that we got our, our, uh, our reviews coming up next month and I'm, I'm hoping that happens. And so I was very clear to him what my goal was. And so all this year I've been getting everything lined up because the whole deal is if you're going to get promoted, you've got to prove that you're ready for that promotion. And so that's how we feel sometimes in our life with God, is that in order for us to come to God, we've got to get everything in line. We've got to get everything to impress him. It's almost like a job interview. We, we show God our resume of, hey, look at all the stuff that I've done in my life and look at how I've cleaned up my life. But the Bible tells us that Christ came to us in the middle of all of our sin, Amen. he came to us 
uh, he came to us no matter what we are in our lives. And he came to us to help us in our lives. See, a lot of times our lives resemble chaos. Uh, in our Sunday school, uh, the last two weeks we've been talking about Joseph. And one thing I always remind myself when I'm studying about Joseph, and I'm talking Joseph the Old Testament, not Joseph the New Testament that we're normally talking about at, at Christmas time. But Joseph in the Old Testament, you know, his brothers sell him into slavery. He is successful as a, as a slave. He, his his uh, master trusts him in everything. He's wrongfully accused by his master's wife. He is thrown in prison. And during that whole time, you know, it, you know, we're reading this thousands of years later. We know eventually he's going to get out of prison He's going to go before Pharaoh. He's going to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He's going to tell them about the famine that's coming. And he gives them a plan of how to prepare for the famine. And we know eventually he's going to be where he was this morning when we were uh, studying in Sunday school. He's going to be second in command. He's basically going to be vice president in, in all of Egypt. So we know that. But when Joseph was sold into slavery, he didn't know what was going to happen. When he was thrown into prison wrongfully, he didn't know what was going to happen with that. And so a lot of times, our lives kind of resemble that. We're in the middle of it. We don't know what the end is. But God is working his plan in our life because he came to us. This past year, this past summer, I uh, did some work on our garage. And I was taking out a beam and putting a new beam in. And I, uh, there were two single-car garage doors. And I was taking those out and putting one just big door in. And uh, to do that, you got to tear everything out. And so for a while, it looked like chaos. And in fact, one day uh, I was outside cleaning some stuff up and my neighbor from across the street came over and he was talking to me. He said, because uh, I, I had a temporary wall built to hold up so I could tear down my the beam uh, so the, the structure wouldn't fall down. And so my neighbor saw it and he goes, hey, are you getting rid of your garage and you making it into a room? And I said, no, no, no. And I explained to him what, ha- what I was doing. And then it turned into a nice conversation because his house is basically our house but flipped. And uh, he said uh, he's retired. And he said, yeah, he said, I've lived in this house like 30 years. And he said, the, the way that garage is set up has always aggravated me. He said, now I'm too old. I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to uh, do what you're doing. He said, but I would have loved to have done this years ago to my house. And so it was reminding me that you know, when my neighbor looked at that, it looked like chaos. It looked like he didn't know what was going on. But I had a plan on what was happening, and, and now it's all done, and it, it's all, it looks really nice, and it's all painted, and it's put together. But before it got there, it had to go through a, a period of chaos. And sometimes that's how it is in our lives. When God comes to us, our lives are just disasters. And there's sin in our life that needs to be taken care of, and, and we don't know how to, how to handle it. We don't know what to do with it. But God has come into our life because the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. It tells us that God is still at work in our lives. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. Paul says, While we are still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall also be saved by his life. And not only this, but we are also celebrate in, God's, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have reconciliation, or receive the reconciliation. So this leads us into our second fact about uh, joy. First, we have joy because God came to us. But secondly, God loves us just as we are, but too much to leave us that way. Amen. You see, what we just read there in Romans chapter 5, we're not going to go through the whole thing. I mean, that, that passage uh, could be a series of sermons by itself because there's so much theology there. That there's so much to go into there. But what Paul says is he, he puts it down on our level. He says, you know, in, in our vernacular, we'd say, you know, we'd tell people, I, I take a bullet for you or I take a bullet for that person. Paul says, you might be willing to take a bullet for a good person. Uh, but the implication, he doesn't say, but the implication is, and pardon my English, but the implication is, ain't no way you're going to take a bullet for a bad person. You might take a bullet for someone that you love and you trust and you cherish, but if it's someone that's your enemy, no way in the world are you going to take a, a bullet for them. So he takes that, our mindset of, of what we do, and he takes that and he says, but God, he demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were sinners, while we were enemies with him, he died for us. And so that shows us the first part of that, that fact, that God loves us exactly how we are. And I think it's amazing because it's not just that God tolerates us. It's not just that God feels pity on us. He loves us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. He loves every person before they ever pray to him, before they ever come to him. He has a genuine love for them. And the reason we know that is because he died for us even while we were sinners. But the second part of that fact is that he loves us too much to leave us in that same condition. Because what Paul goes on to, and like I said, we're not going to go into everything what Paul says, because he says, if we were reconciled, you remember last week we talked about reconciliation, bringing together. We were apart from God, now we've been reconciled, we've been brought together. He says, because of that, he said, if, if we've been reconciled through his death, how much more is our life changed through his life? Because Christ lived a perfect life on this earth. He became flesh. And he lived a perfect life, and he wants us to have that life. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I have come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. He wants us to have a better life. He wants us to get rid of that sin in our life. He wants to help us uh, through the struggles in our life. And so God loves us, yes, just the way we are. But he loves us way too much to leave us in that sinful condition. And so often in our world, we like to talk about how God loves us as we are. And that is absolutely 100% true. It is a fact. But as a, another part of that fact is that God wants to change our lives. Amen. And so often we don't let God change our lives, but we can have joy in the fact that we don't have to uh, work on our resume. We don't have to impress him with what we can do because God has come to give us a better way. I think the final fact about uh, joy is found in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4 verses 7 through 12 he says, Beloved, 
Let's one love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was revealed in us, that God has sent his only Son into the world, so that the world, uh, so that into the world, so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the substitution or the, the penalty for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so this shows us the the final fact about joy, is that joy is a result of grace. Have you ever received grace in this world? And I'm not talking in a spiritual sense, but just you got out of a punishment that you deserved uh, I have a story just from two weeks ago. Now, I will admit, in my younger years, I got pulled over quite a bit when I was driving. And uh, But I was actually just a, about a month ago, my insurance renewed, and I was thinking, uh, as I was looking through the paperwork, it's been almost 10 years since I got pulled over for anything. And uh, so two weeks ago, we were going, we were heading to Coney Island uh, to, look, to do the drive-through light thing. And I was on 275. And I get pulled over. What basically what was happening was I, I was trying to be a actual responsible driver. I was in the left lane. Guy was coming up behind me. So I got over to let him pass. Person wasn't passing. And so I kind of got a little aggravated. And I thought, well, if you're not going to pass, I'm going to get back over so I can get around everybody. So I kind of you know, swooped back over, didn't use my turn signal. Well, almost as soon as I did that, the guy behind me gets over. Police officer right behind him. Uh, so as soon as that guy gets over, police officer flips on his lights and pulls me over. And so I thought, well, okay, I deserve this one. I, you know, was kind of weaving in and out there. And so I, the police officer comes to the window and I show him my license. And he said, uh, he said, you know, you didn't use your turn signal there when you changed lanes. I said, yeah, I, I know. And he said, well, where are you heading? And I said, I'm, we're going to uh, Coney Island. He goes, oh, you guys are going to go see lights. And I said, yep. And he goes, well, and he hands me my license back. He said, well, he said, have fun and just drive safe. Remember to use your turn signal. And I thought, man, that's great. Uh, I, for once, like I fully 100% was expecting to get a ticket. I fully 100% deserved to get a ticket, but I was shown grace. And so a lot of times in our lives, just not like I said, not in a spiritual sense, but times that we're shown grace, it brings us joy in our life because we know what we deserved. And we, we got out of that punishment because someone showed us grace. And so God, because... He has given us grace. If you think back to John, first John, or John chapter one, uh, verse fourteen, at the end it says he was full of truth and grace, and that kind of goes back to our last point about how, yes, God loves us how we are, but there's also a truth that He wants to change us. And so here, because of that grace, because He was full of grace, in the book of First John, John, what we just read, he's basically saying that because of how God has treated us, because of the grace that God has given us, he says. We ought to treat other people like that. We ought to show them the joy in our life. And what he says there at the very end, he says, no one has seen God, but he says, if we treat others, if we love other people, people will see God working in our lives through what we do. And so in our lives, ought to be filled with joy because of God's grace. 
So I want to end with a quote, and Brother Allen, this is the, the slides that I added at the very end. This is from Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of over 100 years ago. Uh, in fact, just real quick, before mega churches were a thing, he was a pastor of a mega church, and not because he you know, had a circus on stage. It's because he preached the truth. Uh, they didn't sell, they wouldn't sell th- these tickets, but just to make sure that it wasn't overcrowded, the night before his services, they would hand out tickets uh, to get in, and you had to have tickets to get into his uh, into his uh, church. And like I said, it wasn't to make money. It was just so that way they had enough places for everybody to sit. But here's what Charles Spurgeon said about grace. He said, there is a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful, but this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious. One dollarous spirit brings a plague into the house. One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever he goes. But the grace of joy is contagious. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. That's the joy that we're talking about, not the joy of uh, uh, presence, not the joy of seeing snow, not the joy of having our bill paid or getting out of a ticket. It's the joy that we have received because God's grace has overcome our lives and given us forgiveness of sins. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you that you came and you put skin on and you walked around our earth. And you felt our pain and you lived a perfect life that we could never live. And now because of your death on the cross and the resurrection three days later, you offer us grace and you offer us forgiveness. We ask that no matter what is going on in our lives this morning, that we would take that grace and turn it into joy. That we would let that joy overrun our lives and that that joy would spread to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing a song of invitation, if you'd like to come and pray, you're always more than welcome to do so.